Uh, well, my name is Simon Sharkey, and over the 10 years that I was involved with London's Burning from 1988 to 1998, I had three roles. Uh, I started off as the clapper loader, which is a member of the camera crew. And then I became the story editor. And then I became one of the script writers. Uh, so I was the clapper loader for series two, to five, two, three, four, and five. I was the script editor from six to 10, and I was the script writer from seven to 10 series, both times. Yeah. So 10 years in total, my involvement in the show. In the, in the 1980s, I was a freelance um, television camera assistant, and so worked for lots of different companies, BBC, Thames, Granada, but also a lot for London Weekend Television. And I did shows like Beatles About and Surprise Surprise, um, South Bank Show, uh, did a bit on Poirot and so forth. And um, towards the end of 87, I was hired to do uh, a couple of days on the second unit on the last episode of series one of London's Burning. And then towards, and I, after that continued working for London Weekend on various projects. And then in uh, the late summer of 88, I was asked, would I like to join London's Burning full time as the clapper loader on the main unit for series two, um, which I did. So, so, so I really joined full-time in September 88 as the clapper loader, uh, who is the, you know, the most junior member of the camera team. Uh, on a show like London's Burning, you have the director of photography, who would have been Paul Bond or Jeff Harrison. You have the camera operator, who is Ken Lowe. You have the focus pullers, Paul Carter and Mike Lippman. You have the grip, Gary Hims. Or actually, when I started, it was Gary and Tony Cridling, and then the clapper loader. So I was the, the most junior member of the camera team. Uh, and um, I then, as I said, I, I did uh, those four series as clapper loader. Um, the great thing about London's Burning was that because there were so many um, incidents, fires, special effects, stunts, and so forth, um, that we frequently needed to use multiple cameras to film it. So as you know, when you're filming normally, you just have one camera and those five people that I just listed would be working around the camera. But the moment you start doing stunts and fires and explosions and so forth, you want to cover it from multiple angles. So you bring in additional cameras, um, which even meant sometimes bringing in additional camera crews as well. Uh, so it meant that if you were on the camera team on London's Burning, it must have been one of the busiest roles in television because we just had so much to do and it was so varied and it was pressurized uh, and you were doing that under all sorts of, you know, weather conditions and so forth and dealing with quite potentially dangerous situations. So it meant that if you were on that camera team, even as the lowest member, the, the, the clapper loader, you 
got to do lots and lots of stuff. And you've got to, you've suddenly found yourself operating a camera or focus pulling on a camera um, and using new equipment that perhaps you weren't familiar with. And also we developed our own uh, techniques, which I don't think existed before we did. One was how to put a camera into a fire. Uh, obviously they weren't real fires, they were fake, but they were still hot and they still burnt up the oxygen. So the camera crew had to wear breathing apparatus the same as the uh, actors. And we also found that the cameras got misted up because of condensation from the heat and the water from the hoses. So we developed these systems of blowing cold air across the lens, which again came from yet another uh, air tank. And that cold air cleared the condensation from the lenses whilst you're in a fire. And then we had another thing, which was a spinning uh, glass disc in front of the lens, uh, a centrifuge, which threw off the water from the hoses. So that plus various other little tricks and techniques which we developed as a camera team, we used to actually film in fires. Um, and other little tricks as well. We'd had one whole episode which had to be in fog. And needless to say, it's never foggy when you want it to be. And in any case, in film terms, you always have to fake these things. So we had to develop a way of having fog. And I think it was Paul Bond, the DOP, who came up with this box, which we put in front of the lens. The camera looked through the box, which had on the front of it glass. And then you just filled that box with smoke. And the smoke swirled around in front of the lens and gave the appearance of fog. So it, it was a very, very good camera team to work on because it was so varied and there were so many challenges every day. Uh, so those are very happy years doing that. It's obviously quite unusual um, to go directly from being a camera assistant to being a story editor. Um, and the way it happened was that I had always written, um, not professionally, but I'd written scripts just for my own interest. Uh, I had also gone to film school and of course there I had written films and so forth. So that was always something I wanted to do. And, but I also very much liked being a camera assistant and had done that since leaving film school. So, um, we would get the scripts on London's Burning when I was on cameras and I used to think to myself, hmm, I think I could have a go at doing this, but of course it was unheard of to make that leap. And uh, one of our directors, John Reardon, who's a very, very kind, great guy, he um, said to me, well, you know, if you are interested in writing for the show, why don't you go and see Paul? Uh, and that was Paul Knight, the producer, who I know you've heard a lot about on this show. Um, and it's a shame you never got to interview Paul because that would have been fantastic. Um, so I went to see Paul, quite nervous, obviously, uh, and um, didn't quite know what reception I would get. And um, went, to, went up to his office in Wardour Street. And this would have been in the summer of 92, I think. Um, and um, 
he was very open to it, very open. And he said, well, why don't you write some ideas for the show and we'll see. So I went off, I wrote, you know, probably about four or five pages of just short ideas for the next series, sent them over. And um, he called me back in. He said, well, these are terrific. Thank you. In fact, we, we, we want to use some of these and therefore we will pay you. So actually, that was my very first check for writing. Um, so I suddenly thought, well, this is great. I've actually been paid for, for applying for a job. Uh, and so um, he then said to me, look, on this show, we've never had a story editor. Um, they did have a script editor who was based at London Weekend. But one of the things about London's Burning, which I'm sure, Andrew, you've figured out so far, is that we were very much a little world unto ourselves. We were separate from what we called the mothership, which was London Weekend on the South Bank. We were in our own premises and because of Paul, because he was so idiosyncratic and he was like the father of this family, we did our own thing. And we, um, but I think London Weekend were fine with that because we got the results and we got the viewing figures and it was a great show. So in other words, the story lining and the story editing and the, everything to do with the scripts was really handled by Paul from within uh, London Weekend, uh, from within London's Burning rather. And so he'd never had a story editor. And he said to me, well, maybe you could do that. You could be the story editor. And I, to be honest, I didn't really know what it was. Um, so I was, uh, it was literally as simple as that. And so for, at the end of series five, I was the clapper loader. At the beginning of series six, I was the story editor. And all my former colleagues from the floor would, would come past this office that I suddenly had in the studios with my name on the door. And they were like, what's going on, you know? And same with the cast, they, they, they couldn't quite understand how this clapper loader was suddenly the story editor. But, um, and that, what that entailed really was working with the writers who had already been hired and were already, uh, well, had actually written half of their scripts by that time. So working with them and um, at that time, the, there were two writers on the show. One was David Humphreys and the other was Tony Hoare. And uh, I worked closely with both of them. And um, because of my experience of four series on the floor, on, on, on the camera crew, I was able to uh, adapt the script for how we would actually film them. And say, well, because I know that particular set or that location or indeed the fire station so well, this is how we could do this. And that wouldn't work because, you know, you, I don't know, we couldn't shoot that or so. So in other words, I was bringing the experience of being on the floor to working with script. And so, and then, and then Paul said to me, um, the thing is, I've got to tell you that a script editor or story editor uh, earns less than a clapper loader, which was a bit of a realization. Um, and he said, I don't want you to take a drop in what you're earning. So he suggested, why don't you 
continue coming in on the days when we have multiple cameras and you could you could be a focus puller on the mini unit or the second unit or additional cameras um and because we were having additional cameras at least once an episode if not several times an episode what that meant was that i could be in my office doing the storyo thing and then go down to the set and do some work on cameras uh to make up my income and um as that progressed you got the very weird situation where as a story editor you will frequently need to to write little bits as well because you know suddenly the director will say oh we need a little scene here to do this or we need a few lines to do that and that would fall to me so i was writing scenes that i was also focus pulling on so i would have written this this scene for the second unit for example and then we'd be shooting it and i would be the focus puller and we this is absolutely true we had one situation with a with a guest director who didn't really know us or you know the way things had panned out and he was directing this scene and one of the actors came up to me and asked me about a particular line and he was like well what are you asking the bloody camera assistant for <laughs> and um they had to say well he's also written it so yeah it was that was quite an interesting time uh, and that that was going on i guess in series 6 um and then in series 7 paul said to me uh you know you've done so well and and your your the stuff that you've written is good so i'm i'm going to commission you to write for the next series which is series 7 and i think initially he commissioned one script to see how it went and then and I was continuing as the story editor and by then the script editor as well and then that went well so then he uh said all right well listen I I think he I think he commissioned then another two scripts for that series can't really remember but so that was the point when I'd transitioned from story editor and then script editor to then writer and then I went on to write on series 7 to 10 as uh as by that time by series 7 obviously i knew the show very very well um i knew all the actors i knew all the locations i knew a lot of stuff about the fire brigade obviously because uh when i was the when i was the story editor one of the things i did was to storyline uh and so um part of that was getting the ideas and we had a a system whereby the london fire brigade would send us press cuttings about um fires and incidents that they had attended so this this came from a cutting service and every week a, an envelope a, a bulging envelope in those days would arrive with all these press cuttings and i would go through them that's interesting that's not um, you know sort them out and um and also i sub classified them into fires floods car crashes rth whatever it might be um so when i started writing um a lot of the uh procedural stuff i knew uh, already and so 
to me, actually, the the more challenging stuff was the non-fire brigade stuff, the the um, what we call the domestics. And as you know, in every episode, it was it was quite structured that you would have your main shout, you would have a secondary shout. Sometimes you'd have a, a C shout, which so you'd have A, B, and C. You'd have a C shout, which would be a little funny, perhaps. Um, and then you would have a strand of uh, life in the in Blackwall. So you know, uh, fire station or fire brigade matters, and the relationships at work, and the various aggressions, and you know things that happen between them at work. And then you had the domestic strands, and each week you'd have perhaps not a domestic scene for everybody, but certainly for most of them, you would go to their homes and you would find out what was going on in their domestic lives. So that was, I think, part of the secret of the success of London's Burning was that you had so many strands going all the time and you had to tell these I don't know, I mean, 10, maybe 15 stories in an hour. And it was a very set time as well, because you knew that you had to have this much time going up to the first commercial break, end on some sort of cliffhanger, then the time between the, that and the next commercial break, and then running up to the end and, you know, quite a nice finish to it. Um, so you so you were working within that structure, um, plus and this is a fact which I think very few people know, and you'd I think you'd have to be a serving firefighter to really know this, and actually even so I don't think they do, and that is that we followed the duty structure, and in the fire brigade you do. Um, a day duty and a day duty and then a night duty and a night duty and um, then you have a few days off and we followed that so that and I think certainly on the ones that I wrote and the ones that I script edited because I, we always made sure of this that you never had them doing a night duty before a day duty without there being time off in between now this might seem trivial and, and a bit ridiculous, excuse me, sorry. Um, that might seem trivial, uh, but the fact is that um, in a way, I think it helped us because um, there's something about keeping to a structure that means that, I don't know, I suppose it was a, a sort of unconscious realism to it. Um, that you weren't aware that it was realistic, but somehow it fed into that because it gave us the discipline, if you like, of making it real. And helping with that, of course, was also uh, Nobby Clark, uh, Brian Clark, who was uh, a serving uh, station officer with the LFB, but he was seconded to us from their press office to be our advisor. And Nobby was on the show all the way through that I was, and I worked very, very closely with him. And um, Nobby was fantastic because he obviously knew the brigade inside out, but also by then he got to know what we were doing inside out as well. And so you could, you could always ask him, obviously, what would firefighters do? Uh, but also he suggested things, he came up with ideas. And also importantly, 
he wouldn't let you do anything that wasn't real uh, or indeed that depicted the brigade in a bad way, which, which is absolutely fair enough. And so many, many times I would come up with an idea and he would say, no, either it just wouldn't happen or I wouldn't want the brigade to be depicted in that way. So he was their best ever PR. And um, we always we always went along with what he said. I mean, we never overruled him or argued. We always, certainly in my time, went along with what he said. And I think the show was better for that. And the other great thing about him was that if he said, no, you wouldn't do it that way, he always came up with another way, which would be the real way, and of course was better. So I, I you know, the, no discussion of this show would be complete without a little tribute to Nobby because his influence on it was fantastic. And when he departed from the show, which was, I think, after series 10, which was, as you probably know by now, Andrew, when a lot of things changed, um, I think it was the worst for it because I don't think that they were as um, committed to representing the reality of the brigade as we were. Um, and I know that some of the cast have said this and is absolutely true. We, we were committed. And of course, some of the shouts that we did were ridiculous and over the top and exaggerated. And no firefighter would have that many incidents in one week any more than, you know, you look at the bill, how uh, any police officer would have that many incidents in one week. Of course, it is. Everything is squashed in. But the actual facts of what they did and how they did it, I think were pretty accurate to the brigade and the brigade themselves, I think, in those days would say that was the case. And that's why they were so supportive of us and supplied us with so many facilities and um, were, were, were very much you know, on board with it all. Um, so, so I suppose being a scriptwriter on London's Burning was was very different from being on, and I've written on lots of other shows, but that was the one that I think as a writer, you feel most integral and involved in the show and all, all aspects of the show. Because generally as a writer, you know, I, I wrote a lot on the bill and you go in and you do, you know, you, you, you get your brief and you go off and you write your script and you send it in and you have some meetings with the script editor and the director. And that's that. Whereas on London's Burning, you have meetings and discussions with the design, with the stunt arranger, with the special effects, with the cameras, with the locations. And so you're very, very involved with the nuts and bolts and the practicalities of making, uh, making a show. For the whole of my time there, uh, we worked at Dockhead Fire Station, which is um, just not far from Tower Bridge. And it was a working fire station. And when we were in there, they moved the appliances out onto the forecourt and we put our appliances into the appliance bay. And generally speaking, we all got along fine. The firefighters who were there on duty did their own thing. When a shout started, when the bells went down, they would all come rushing out, come down the poles and go off in the appliances. And we would obviously get out of the way and then we'd go back to work. So it, it worked very well. Um, for the 
first floor, which was the mess and the dorm and the offices, the offices are, I think are actually on the second floor, um, we had a replica set in the studios and it was an exact replica. And um, so we only ever really filmed on the ground floor at Dockhead. Uh, but our studios at that time were Jacob Street and it was uh, an old biscuit factory um, owned by Jacobs who make Jacobs cream crackers. And they moved out of there some years before. It was a big, huge, empty, rambling place right on the river. Um, and so we were there for, for several years. And the great thing about it was it backed onto Doghead. So we took over the whole place. We had all our offices there, design studios, and these, these, these sets, the standing sets of the fire station, uh, station officers, office, the mess, uh, the dorm. But we also had some of the domestics in there. So I think uh, Signote's house was, was a set in there. Um, and I think going back, I think Kevin's house was a set. Um, and we also had there a thing called the burn stage, which as the name implies was where we did the fires. And this was a huge old warehouse, very, very high ceilings. And we, we built all the sets in there, which we then burned. Um, and when we did that, we had firefighters from Dockhead came over with an appliance and they stood by, uh, you know, in case anything got out of hand. And there were a couple of incidents where things got a bit hot, should we say. Uh, and indeed, there was one incident where overnight, um, a, a burning ember, which had not been fully extinguished, did restart a fire. And, and there was actually a further fire uh, at night. Um, but um, so we were we were there and it was a very, very good arrangement because you could the, the artists um, could be in makeup and wardrobe in the studios. And that's where their green room was based. And they had a five minute walk around the corner to go to to Dockhead. Um, and then in I, I don't know, I think this was probably series eight or maybe nine. Um, the owners of Jacob Street Studios wanted to redevelop it as flats, so we had to get out. So we then moved to a big old paper warehouse, which was in, I don't mean it was made of paper, I mean it was a warehouse for paper. Uh, and that was uh, in Long Lane. And so we moved there. So then it was a little bit further from uh, Dockhead, and that meant traveling to and fro each day. Um, so not quite as convenient, but the advantages of Long Lane was that it was huge and there was lots of room for sets. And I think more of the domestics were then built in there. And we also had our own pub. So whereas in the past, all the pub interiors that you see, the scenes after work when they all go drinking, they were shot in a pub called the Swan and Sugarloaf, which was opposite Dockhead. Uh, it actually wasn't the closest pub, uh, the closest one literally adjoined the fire station um, and was called the Shipper Ground, which is still there. And that's where we used to go for drinks um, after work and sometimes during work. Um, but the Swan and Sugarloaf across the road is where we filmed. Um, but then when we moved to Long Lane, we had our own pub built in the basement. It was a, it was a, a set of a pub, but it was also a working pub with 
you know, working pumps and everything. And so that was like where we all went for drinks after work. So the whole thing was contained in one site. Um, and uh, then that was how it was right up until I finished at the end of series 10. And then I understand that on series 11, it was announced that Dockhead was closing. Um, and so they moved the fire station to Leighton. And so that meant schlepping out to Leighton and filming there, but also I think they built new sets to echo that. But because by that time I was actually not on the show anymore, I don't quite know what happened from series 11 to 13 about fire stations. But that was our little world. Dockhead, Jacob Street Studios, those pubs, and also the domestic locations that were all real places. So, you know, Bayleaf's house was a real house that we went to year in, year out. Um, Stick Notes house, the exterior, um, we used to go there all the time. Um, and so it was all centered really around a relatively small area of Southeast London when we were shooting there, which obviously makes sense because every moment that you spend moving a unit is time lost to filming. So everything was always kept very close. When I first joined, the station officer was Sidney Tate, uh, played by Jimmy Marcus. And Jimmy was a, a great guy. He was an old school actor. Um, he had been in oh, movies, uh, for example, Clockwork Orange with, with Stanley Kubrick. Uh, so he was a very experienced actor and a very, very nice person. And um, the, an interesting thing about filmmaking and also theater actually, is that the, the cast, if there's an ensemble cast like that, tend to have a sort of family structure with a father or a mother. And, and, and then you might have the sort of the naughty son, which is probably John Alford, um, and Jimmy Marcus was very much the father of the, of the watch and of the cast at that time. Um, and then in later series, when after Jimmy left, um, I think another Jimmy, Jimmy Hazeldean, became the sort of father of the cast. And uh, he was a very, very experienced actor, probably of the cast, James Hazeldean was perhaps the highest profile um, and also just the loveliest person ever. And he was, he then sort of took on the mantle of the father of the, of the cast. And, you know, they would, I think they would defer to him and go to him for advice and things like that. But then after Jimmy Marcus left, uh, Andrew Casimir came in as station officer, Nick Georgiadis, who was a sort of, of North London Greek uh, heritage. And Andrew was then the station officer all the way through to when I finished in uh, series 10. Um, and we had lots of adventures with Andrew. And also he gave us an excuse to go and film in Cyprus, which um, was probably not entirely necessary, but I think we decided to work in a good reason for the whole unit to go to Cyprus. Um, and so those were the two station officers that were there in my time. Well, I think when I was um, Clapaloda, um, one of the 
and because I suppose this is episodes for us working on them as opposed to episodes as a finished product. But we did a train crash, uh, I think series two or maybe three. And that from a point of view of working on a unit, I think that was probably uh, quite a high point because it was just one night that we did this whole thing, but it was an enormous night because the design department got four or five carriages and turned them over and smashed them up. We had hundreds of extras and we had multiple camera crews. And the way that it was decided, the only way that we would get everything done and fit everything into this one very long night was to have multiple cameras all filming separate little incidents going on and, you know, people being rescued here and people being um, tended to by medics there. And, the, and so you had four or five self-contained camera crews going around and filming these little bits of action. And so from a camera point of view, that was a, a very, very challenging, but interesting, exciting evening. And as I was the clapper I was having to make sure, and I had additional clapper loaders came in uh, for the night and we had to make sure there was enough film and batteries and that all the lenses were where they should be. So we were, we were really put to the test that night, as was everybody. Uh, the whole unit were put to the test. And I remember afterwards, it, there was a feeling of exhilaration really of, of what we'd achieved in that night. So I suppose that is a, a memorable episode from a sort of camera point of view. Um, a horrible episode from a camera point of view was the trench collapse, which I think was series three. And that was the one where on a building site, there's some workmen down in a trench and because of heavy rain and a truck moving too close to the edge, the sides collapse, trapping the, the workers underneath. And then the firefighters have to go down and dig them out. Well, that was a real trench. That was a practical trench dug on a building site down on the old Kent Road. In fact, it's a McDonald's restaurant now, drive-through restaurant. But underneath that restaurant is that trench. And um, we were in there for, oh, I don't know, two or three days. And this was in February. It was freezing cold and we had rain machines. So a rain machine, the water isn't heated. It's freezing cold water out of a bowser sprayed onto you. And we were down in this trench. Um, I, was, I was down there with Paul Bond, the cameraman, and we were soaking wet and freezing cold. And it was a very, very tough shoot. So I, I remember that as a low point. Favorite episodes as a writer, it's tricky because I think in that case, some of them would be little domestic moments um that were funny you know i used to love writing for sick note and gene and i used to love writing for pierce and cling film and pitbull who were the the funnier characters and um i enjoyed writing some of those scenes i don't know when when sick note got a wig for example i remember that was all quite funny um and then I suppose as a writer, the most challenging and therefore probably the most memorable episode was when Hallam died. And I think that was in series nine um, or maybe eight, can't remember, but 
that was going to be a very big two-part episode, uh, which I wrote. And the idea was that they were called to a huge fire in a warehouse. And what I think made this interesting was that we, it was, London's Bay was always very, very ambitious in what we wanted to do and what we wanted to put on the screen. And in that instance, we wanted a really massive incident. And of course, that is very dependent on the location. Uh, so location managers found this place up in St. Ives, I think it was, uh, and it was a disused factory. It was posted for demolition, so we could do anything we liked, really. But in order to write the script, whereas in most cases, someone writes a script, it arrives on the desk of the location manager, they look at it and start thinking, well, where on earth could we do this? In this instance, it was the other way around. They found the location, and then we wrote the script to fit that. And, and that's what I liked, is that sort of collaboration. And so when they found this location, we knew what we could do there. We knew it was ours for such and such a time. And it would be expensive because everyone would have to be in hotels uh, and you'd have a huge number of people taken up to that area. But nevertheless, that's where we wanted to do it. So then we went for a recce with uh, um, design and special effects and stunts and uh, everybody was there and of course Nobby the fire brigade advisor and we did a walk around of this place and we came up with ideas of how we could do it where we could do it how we're going to kill Hallam and um, then based on that I went away and wrote it and obviously we then tailored it specifically for that location but what it meant was that when the scripts arrived they were you could shoot them it was absolutely ready to shoot and broken down into scenes, uh, almost into shots. And so, and that's very unusual to get a script, which is actually shoot ready in that way. Um, so I suppose from a writer's point of view, that was perhaps my, my high point uh, episode. Well, Andrew, it's my pleasure. And I'm very pleased that you and the people watching this liked and appreciated all that stuff that we did all those years ago.